Um, but I'm not sure I want to put you through that. Where when you get to one of those scriptures, where it have many funny names and words, you just let us read it together, right? Instead of doing it alone, so we can all mispronounce them instead of me alone. But um, we have been doing this series about matters of the heart, where we have been going through the Word of God and finding scriptures that speaks to the heart, and then just understanding God's heart concerning those scriptures on our behalf and it, it has really transformed me because the, the the heart is important and how our heart is is how we are we are our hearts we see people and see things based on the state of our hearts and and the one the one thing god wants is that we have hearts that desire him and this morning we're going to look at the the, the, the scripture in acts that speaks of david when the scripture said God chose David and declared over him that he's a man after his own heart that will do his will, do all his will. And, and ask ourselves, if God said that about David, how do I need to live so that can be God's declaration over my own life? I don't know about you, but I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. I think every Every, every sister and brother in Christ need to have that same desire. I want to be a person, a male, a female after God's own heart. And so in Acts, it speaks to that. As usual, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Then you will get the opportunity to sit down and I will be standing and doing the sermon. So I think that's a good deal right there. Come on, just lift your Bibles up with me. Um, if, it, if it's on your phone, that's fine. If it, as long as you're reading it, it's all good. All right, come on, say this is God's word. Not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened, and I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing as I read for you. Verse 13 says, Paul and his companions then left Papos by the ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Pergo. Then John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas traveled into Antioch of Pisidia or Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual reading from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Cana and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. 
After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words this morning and we pray in the name of Jesus that you will open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear your voice, our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. Lord God Almighty, like the declaration of over David, a man after your own heart, let that be your declaration over us this morning, every person in this room, that our main pursuit in this life would be you that the desire of our hearts will be to please the lord god almighty bring salvation to your house this morning change us from the inside out and above all else this morning let your will be done and your kingdom come in jesus name Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The Bible declares in Psalm 10 verse 4 that the unsaved do not normally think about God. They don't give him the time of day. There's no room for him in their lives or mind until there is trouble or tragedy strikes. And we see that in, in, in society all along. People, they're in trouble and the first thing they think about, let me go to church and get prior. Let me go to church, let them pray for me. When they are in problems, even, even the most ungodly, you drop a heavy piece of metal on his toe and say, my God, oh God, all kind of stuff. I mean, he may believe. I've never heard him call out for Selassie or Buddha or Muhammad when they are in pain. He's always, oh my God, Lord Jesus. Like when they are in an accident, the accident is about to happen, nobody call out Selassie. Nobody calls on Buddha. They all call on Jesus our God. <laughs> Amen. But that's what, the, that's what the, the ungodly do. The unbelieving, the unsaved. When there is crisis, they run to Christ. But sadly, if you are honest, Christians fear only slightly better. Because there are people who, who are believers... Who have a relationship with God. And it is as if their deepest prayers is when they are in trouble. They don't pray to not be in trouble. They wait until they get in trouble. Then they find God. They don't ask God to prevent them from walking in evil or from tragedy. Or to protect them along the way. They get things get in their way, and all of a sudden, oh, they want to have times of fasting, and they, they the worship is different. I mean, they cry louder, they ball louder, they clap louder, they jump higher, they dance faster because they really need God to come through in this moment. In looking at the ancient history of Israel, there's one person who stands out by whom all kings of Judah and Israel are compared, and that man is David. So in Acts 32, we are told that after God raised David up to be king of Israel, that he gave this testimony concerning David. I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now many people say, how did David got to that place? 
given what we have read about David, when we read about David, we think about David and Bathsheba. We think about the conflict with his sons. And we think about him being in Hebron before he controlled all of Israel. We think about all of these things. We think about David and Goliath. This declaration was made before David had any of these things happening in his life. The point is, God declared David to be a man after his own heart. God selected David knowing that David would do all of his will. And I love it because it means that God foreknew what David would have done and still called him. God is awesome. In other words, God knows how messed up I would be and still declared me saved. Before I accepted him. It means that no matter what dark place you are in. God still has something for you. It don't matter how deep you have fallen into sin. God's plan still prevail. His word stands forever. But we need a heart like David. A heart with a desire for God. All of us. So we need a heart that desires to walk with God 24-7. Every moment of every day. My heart desire is to walk with God every moment of every day. Why is this important? In Psalm 53 from 2 to 3, here's what the scripture said. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men. So last week we were saying, me, is that right? When it says children of men, that's really mean all of us. Including you, including me. To see if there was any that did understand, that seek God. He says, every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that do it good, no, not one. Look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. I know some of you don't believe that. Because you think because you grew up in church, that don't apply to you. Like you were at a different level of sin than other people who weren't going to church. I wasn't that bad after all. I grew up in the church. Hey, newsflash. All of us are born in sin and shaped. (laughs) Born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Alright? Not sin. Sin. Alright? All of us are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So let me help you. Like me, all of us started out as black-hearted, cold, wicked sinners. That included you. That cute little baby you were, you were a cute little black-hearted sinner. Who needed Jesus. And there was no righteousness in you. There was nothing good in you. We were not seeking God. Let me put it this way. The desire that we had for God. Was given to us by God. Man. Jesus came to seek. And to seek and to save. That which was lost. Men don't find Jesus. He finds you. We were found. We were never on a quest to find him. He gave us a desire to come after him. No one comes to the father unless they are drawn by the son. No one comes to the son unless they are drawn by the spirit. The desire that we had for God, God in time gave us a desire to want to be saved. We don't initiate salvation. God did. 
So it means that none of us that the scripture said were seeking God. I know it's hard to receive, you know. I know you're probably sitting there saying, well, pastor, you can't tell me that. Because me know when me find God. Well, I want to tell you this. God was never lost. So he doesn't need looking for. He has been the same. He sits on his throne and he reigns forevermore. He has not moved and he has never moved and he will not move. Well, that's Old Testament. Paul comes into the New Testament in Romans and Paul rewrites this. In Romans 3, 10 to 12. We know it from here, but it came from the psalm. Paul says, there is none, none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understand. There is none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that do it good. No, not one. Until we found Jesus... This is us. You see, Esau in, in some way typifies men seeking for God. How men do it? You know the story of Esau. Esau had a brother called Jacob. And their father was Isaac. And, and, and he had a birth right that he was hungry one day and he smelled stew peas. You know this whole thing about stew peas? It's a long time it had gone. He smells some good stew peas and him said, may have he have that? His brother said, well, if you want this stew peas, you know how it go. You have to give me a birthright. And he said, boy, this stew peas, tears God. Give me the stew peas, take the birthright. After a while, he realized what he had given up. He said, listen, he had given up all, all his life inheritance. So he got to a point where he said, I need to get back. The birthright. But he can't give back the stupids. Because stupid is gone. But he wants back birthright. So what is he going to do to get back the birthright that he's traded for stupids? Here's what he says. In Hebrews 12 verse 17. And I'm going to pause here at the, the comma for you to tell me what it is. When he desired to inherit the blessing. That's Hebrews 12 verse 17. 17. When he desired to inherit the blessing. Oh, it's in the notes. You know, it's better in the notes. It's on the PowerPoint. When he desired to inherit the blessing. Alright. Uh, when he desired to inherit the blessing. I want you to read it with me. When he desired to. You get it? I hope you get it. Now. Tell me you get it. You get it? I'm not convinced that you have gotten it. So let me tell you. When he desired to inherit the blessing, what he lost was relationship with his father. What he wanted back was the blessing. The scripture said he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance. Though he sought it, sought for it with tears. All he wanted to do is to get back what he lost and not who he lost. Isn't that similar to many of us? That 
let me give it this way. So we, we do something, we usurp authority at work, and we lose the job. We, we don't want to repent for our behavior, but we want God to give us back the job. We don't have time to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. We don't want restoration. We want a returning of what we had or what we have lost, the blessing. See, that is the problem with desire. Because he was desiring blessing more than he was desiring the blesser. And that is why sometimes when we lose things from God and we come to church, we cry. Not because we are sorry, but because we want God to give us back what we have lost. We are crying to get back the things. Not to get back in relationship with God. Esau was seeking to get birthright instead of restoration with the father. I want to ask you, like when things are going wrong, what are you after? Are you after God or are you after the blessing? The problem was that Esau desired God's blessing, but he did not want God. He, regard, he regretted what he had done. But he never truly repented of his action. He was sorry because he lost something. Not because he lost someone. We oftentimes want God's blessing. But the truth is we really don't want God. So the scripture teaches us to seek God first. His kingdom and his righteousness. And these things will be added. No, but here's what we want to do. We want to come and we want to cry. We want to pray. We want to worship. So that God can Give us back what we lost. We don't want relationship. We want reward. And God is saying, if you want to be like David, forget about the reward. Seek the relationship. Seek the relationship. That is the important thing. We can desire God's gift, God's comfort, God's physical healing, God's material blessing, rather than having a desire for a personal, intimate relationship with the God of eternity. The purpose of Bible reading, the purpose of church, the purpose of worship, the purpose of giving, all of these things is relationship with God, not to get things from God. You know why we sing? To get close to God. You know why we read our Bibles? Not to get things out of the Bible, but to get the Bible in us. People are trying to get the promise in the Bible instead of getting the promise of the Bible, Jesus Christ. You know why we pray? We pray because we want to get closer to God. I want the healer, not just healing. Because if I have the healer, then I'm going to be healed. But I can get healing and go away not receiving the healer. And I get sick again. People want a blessing. But they don't want the blesser. The purpose of your devotions is to be close to God. It's about that intimate relationship. Select a personal intimate relationship with God. Be your foremost desire. This is what I want. All I want is you, Lord. See, the eternal destiny of those who have no time for God cannot be compared to the greatness and glory of having a relationship with God. 
church has gotten busy. All of us, most of us. We're too busy, we can't have any more devoted time, which we call devotion, because we're busy. You have to have time for your relationship with God. So you can have a God after God's own heart. A heart after God's, uh, be a person after God's own heart. It depend. It, it is depend solely on your relationship with him. Without that, it is, it is impossible. It is impossible without that. We're pushing relationship because here's why. Too often, the purpose of church and things in church is to see what God can give us instead of seeing how closer we can get to God. Why are you here this morning? Why are we here? We're here because we want to get close to God. To grow in our relationship with him. In Psalm 73, the psalmist looks at the lifestyles of those who live without God. And he sees them prospering and he becomes envious of what appears to be their easy lifestyle. So for a moment, the psalmist uh, took his eyes of the eternal and he fixed them on the temporal. Until uh, in verse 17, this is Psalm 73 verse 17. Uh, I'm going to help you with it because this is good. Verse 17, Psalm 73. What happened to the psalmist? So he's looking at, let's put it in Jamaican context. He's looking at the people who, who are making some money. They're not serving God and the kids are okay. At least it appears that way. The business prospering and, you know, you, you, you're serving God. You're going to church and you begin to complain. But I can't understand why life is so rough for me. You can imagine, look how long I'm serving God. I side, I give. I work in ministry. I pray. I have my devotion. I have a good Bible. Look at my Bible. My Bible have more marks in it than all pastor bible and look at it make me really use my bible but god 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 look look how you're blessing all those people what about me they don't even serve you the psalmist was in this place i love what verse 17 says have you found it you know what happened what changed the psalmist look at what changed i, I could not believe that this was in the bible it says then i do what did the psalmist do then i went into your sanctuary the psalmist went to church can you believe it? Tell anybody, you need to go to church. Yes. Yeah, like, it's very simple. The psalmist is envious and getting all worked up about how people are present. He says, then I went to church. When he went to church, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. In other words, he went to church and he saw that there were people in the church who were in just the same state and they were worshipping God. And he said, hold on. But... Before me come give God praise in church, me I worry about what people out there have. It's not going to last long. It's temporary. It was in church that he came and he saw other believers worshiping God in spite of. They had a desire for God regardless of what they had or didn't have. And the psalmist, it changed his perspective completely. He understood and weighed the eternal destiny of those who have no time for God. A Against the greatness and glory of having a relationship with God. So the psalmist gets down to verse 25 and says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And then the next line is what seals the deal. He says there is nothing on earth 
I desire besides you. The psalmist said, when all is said and done, I was at such a bad place that I was concerned with what other people had. I got to church. I saw people who were worst off praising God. I realized that those people had one desire only and that desire was for God. The psalmist declares, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Come on, come on, just say, Lord, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Just ask the person beside you. I just heard you say that. Are you really honest about it? No, no. Did, did they answer you? Ask them. You can be un- just say to them, please be honest with me because I can't pray for you. Are you really honest about this? Is it really true that there's nothing on earth that you desire besides God? Is it true? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to find out because if not, we can pray for you. So let me ask you again. Can you really honestly say there's nothing on earth you desi- desire besides God? Because that's where all of us ought to be. So what is your most burning desire? What is it you want the most right now? That if you get this, yes, I've got it. How many persons see a house? All right, I know you're not going to put up your hand, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just fooling myself right here. How many persons say, right now, if I get married? Uh, all right, I know you're not going to say that because somebody beside you is saying, right now, if I got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what you're desiring, someone is about to give up on. What sometimes the earliest thing that we desire, somebody is giving up it. The thing because it's temporary. The psalmist says, "There's nothing I desire," and I know this because he says in Psalm 42, from one to two, "As the deer pants for the flowing water, so pants my soul for you, O oh my God." He says, "My soul thirsts for God, for the living God." That's a person who has one desire only, and that is for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be known as a man after God's own heart, this is the place you have to live in. That I desire nothing else on this earth but God. My soul thirsts and long for him. When I wake up in the morning, I want Jesus. In the midday time, I want Jesus. I want to be soaked up. I want to be wrapped up all in Jesus. Listen, my wife has to know that I want Jesus more than I want her. And she has to want Jesus more than she wants me. Because if, 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 if we want each other more than we want God, it's not going to work. My kids have to want God more than they want me to be their father. God must be our foremost desire. One thing... Have I desired of the Lord? The psalmist says in Psalm 24 verse 7. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. The man says listen. I want to live in God's house. Every single day. I want to be in the presence of God. 24 7. Come on, tell a person beside say, do not miss God's presence. 
every day this is where we ought to live. This is where we ought to be in the presence of the Lord. It's not just some physical building. It's a place that we abide in. Where we are building on our relationship with God. And that is why when people get married. They say they need the two leave and cleave. You have to leave and be joined. Our relationship with God is leaving sin and joining with God. And what God has put together, let no man put asunder, including your relationship with him. That is why it is pointless for two people to be married and don't live together. Can you imagine? You want to get married and the person says, oh, let's get married. Alright? And um, you live, you, you can live in Jamaica. And I will live in England. And we can communicate on the phone. And we can FaceTime and we can, like, hello, just, just stay in England then. You don't need to be married. That's, that, the Bible didn't say that. Listen, Adam and Eve were together. And that's the first marriage. Christ and the church are together. Say, so if you're married, you're supposed to be together. Listen, I want to break it down because I want you to understand how much we must desire God. When work calls you and you're spending quality time with your wife, work must know that this is wife time or husband time. All the married people can say amen if you don't believe. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you have to say amen right there. All right? In the same way, when you are with God and he is your desire, other things have to wait. Because if I put off my wife for work, she begins to believe that work is more important than her. Amen? You want to be one of those persons who is known as a man after God's own heart. Secondly, we need a heart that despises sin and loves holiness. You have to hate sin and love holiness. Now, God has not changed church. God still hates sin and loves holiness. And we need to imitate God. Let me read the scripture for you because there's a serious problem with holiness. In the world today. Alright. I'm, I'm going to break it down to you. Because holiness is to be separate. Alright. It, it, it is to be separate. It's to be uncommon. When you are holy. You are uncommon. In the original context. Holiness is you are uncommon. You are not like the others. So tell the person. If you are holy. You are not like the others. Say to them, you are not common. You are uncommon. God wants us to hate sin. Listen to Paul's word to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. I think we are in those times right now. 
You know why I know? It says some men will be lovers of themselves. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm telling you. That's going on right now, man. Um, lovers of money. Yeah, yeah, right there. You, come on. Come on. I mean, I mean, people, yeah, I hear believers say they love money. Watch this. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Come on, our parents. Do you know this is happening out there? Not, not, not your kids because they're in church with you. You can't say yes, but you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you sit in other places, right? Unthankful. Unthankful. Listen, I, 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 I all open door for people right now and they don't even say thank you. You, you allow somebody, you stop. They're walking in the road because you know that cars can't hit people anymore because people are just special. They can walk in front of your car. You need to stop because they are just super special people and they can walk in front of your car because this is Jamaica. You're not supposed to touch them. That's the road rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need no pedestrian crossing. Just walk anywhere and you're a car. You just know that you're supposed to stop. You, you drive, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and sometimes, if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be in jail. <laughs> I, I, I know you're saying that, right? <laughs> but, 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 but here it is. You will stop and you allow them to cross. And they steer you down. Like, why did you come so close? Why did you act like you didn't want to stop? In fact, yeah, they, they'll do that too. Like, you stop and you just slow Motion. Like, hello. They don't say thank you. People are unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. Slanderers. Without self-control. Brutal. Despisers of good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. They look like Christian, all act like Christian, but there's no Christ-likeness in them. It says, and from such people turn away. So Paul paints a picture of the last days in which we live. Where we have graded the lines and have allowed the world to paganize our Christianity with compromise and indifference to sin. So the world is beginning to tell you that anything can go because it's, an, it's a modern Christianity now. <laughs> things have changed. Things have changed. Yes, yes, yes. Right, you know, you can wear anything. You can dress anywhere. You can go anywhere. Listen, not, the world is telling you that what is wrong if you go to some bar and drink some rum with some people with Pepsi. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing is wrong with, with winning the lottery and buying lotto every week and every month. Nothing is wrong. Everything is okay. As long as you're loving God and you go going to church you can do anything you want because god understands yes 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 listen you can do anything listen you can just dress up and come to church anywhere you want you can expose breast leg or tie don't matter god understand god loves you anyways that's new they have paganized christianity I, i want to put it to you god has not changed And I wear nice clothes. So nothing is wrong with clothes. But there are things that are appropriate. And there are things that are inappropriate. Now, I'm not telling you that alcohol drinking is wrong. I'm telling you that alcohol drinking may not be wise. 
If I have to drink rum in a bar for people to get saved, then something is wrong. If my witness have to bring me in the bar, something is wrong with my witness. I, I, like, I, like, I like the deafening silence. You know why I don't wear a marina to church? Because you're going to say the pastor must dress better. So if I can't show my six pack, I don't need to see your breast. If my six pack exposing is wrong, then it must be wrong for you to show your breast. Because my six pack may even look better. And I'm not allowed to show it. Let's be real. I'm very sure you don't want me to wear my biker shorts in here and be preaching. <laughs> so when you come in, you can't wear stuff. If, if, if smoking weed is okay to get people saved, then I can come preach with some weed. So if you don't want me to preach with weed, then smoking it must be wrong. So if drinking rum is okay, why not all invite all the alcoholics and get um, what Jay Renevi to sponsor a drink fest? Because we know that it is wrong. But we have allowed a compromise to creep in. But let me tell you this, whatever we compromise to gain, we will eventually lose. And anything that you tolerate, you will never change. Moving right along. So why would Christians choose the sin rather than choose what they know God wants them to do? There are four easy um, answers that are commonly given. Some would point to Romans 8, 16 and explain that Christians who willfully sin, they have forgotten their true identity of children of God. So there are certain rules you have in your house. You will say to your son... Peckies don't do that. And then Stennis don't do that. And Browns don't do that. Ch- parents train kids to know that our family don't operate a particular way. Families have rules. Other kids may, but you don't. Because our family don't operate that way. They don't. So if earthly families can set rules for their children to be governed by, then God has rules for his children to be governed by. And you must know your family rules. And if you lose your identity, if you don't know your family rules and you have lost your identity, you don't know which family you belong to, then you're going to walk in sin. It is important that you know your identity, that you are a child of God. And as a child of God, there's an expected way that my father expects me to behave. Some say Christians choose to sin because they have lost sight of what God has done for them. So because some of us, we have forgotten where God has brought us from. We have can't regard for sin. So when you think about the pit that God picked you up out of, when I think about where God has brought me from, and when I keep that in front of me, I don't want to go back there. 
I don't want to go back into that kind of a lifestyle. But when I lose sight of that, when I think that I'm coming from this holy place, I think like I was raised in church. I think that I wasn't all that bad. I think that I was half good, half decent, and all of those things. I don't think that, I mean, any look of sin, no, I'm not going to be wrong because I wasn't bad after all. But when you realize that all of us were headed into the pit of hell, and God came and rescued us, and you keep sight of that. You know that I won't go back. I can't go back. I will never go back. And Second Peter 1.9 indicates that Christians can be blind or short-sighted. Having forgotten their purification from their former sins. Don't forget how God purified you. And God washed you with his precious blood. Some also wisely state three. That Christians consciously choose to sin. Because they have forgotten that God will severely discipline. Discipline disobedient believers. God disciplines who he loves. So let me ask you. I mean, how many of you have kids in here this morning? Just put your hand up if you have a child. Or two or three three or four or five. Hallelujah. All right. Here we go. Very simple. Do you discipline your kids? Uh, Let me ask you first. Do you love your children? Right. Like certain questions in church, you have to say yes to. All right. Do you love your children? Hallelujah. All right. You have no choice. But to say yes. Alright? So you love them, but, but you still discipline them. Why? Because you love them. And you know what is best for them. Don't you? Because when you love them, it don't, when you discipline them, it don't change your love. It even makes the love stronger. Because they learn out of the discipline, and that makes the bond better. Do you know that we as human beings, we have flaws? And as we discipline our children, we too need disciplining. Alright? So if we who are not perfect can apply discipline to our kids, how much more a perfect God to his children? Because he even loves us more. So if anyone had any right to discipline, it would be a perfect father who loves more than all people. It means that God is going to discipline you. So tell the person beside you, God is going to discipline you because he loves you. Now, I know you don't like to hear this in church because it sounds like, where I talk about pastor? No, I'm going to tell you how this works. I'm going to tell you how this works. So I have some cousins, right? They used to be afraid of belt. All right, this is not child abuse, so please, um, you know. But my grandmother, she used to love, use the belt. So they were wise. They said, you know what? We're not spending holiday with grandma. They love her, but they're afraid of the belt. All right, so because you're afraid of the belt, they stay far. From grandma. Alright. So listen. I was afraid of belt. So what I did. I stay far from trouble. Amen. So if you don't want to be disciplined. By God. What must you do? You are so smart. There you go. Stay far from the trouble. And the belt will not be applied. Because God loves us too much to not discipline us. 
Because we love our kids too much to see them going down the wrong path and not bringing discipline. So God severely disciplines disobedient believers. So tell your neighbor, you're not going to get away with it. <laughs> Come on, just tell them again. Say, I'm serious. You're not getting away with it. God is going to discipline you. <laughs> Christians who fail to keep eternity in mind often sin in the here and now. You have to keep eternity in mind. There's a better place that I'm headed. I'm preparing my life not for earth, but for heaven. I'm not preparing my life for time. I'm preparing my life for eternity. Psalm 101, 2-4 says, I behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Come on, put your hand on your chest and, and say, that's me, Jesus. Say, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. The psalmist goes on and says, Oh, will thou come unto me? Come on, put your hand on your chest and say with me again. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. That, that talking about a yard, you know. He's talking about where you live. This is the psalmist saying. He says, the psalmist says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Hallelujah. So when you go home, you're going to change your watch list on Netflix. Amen? And you just said it, you know, you just, you just, I really didn't mean it. Come on, let, let's, let's say it again. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. So that means you're going to have to change your Netflix watch list. Scripture goes on and said, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. In other words, what they are doing, it's not going to come and attach itself to me. It says, a devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. Come on, put your hand on your chest and say, I will not be involved with evil. I want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. That's the life. The psalmist also says in Psalm 119 verse 10, 104, sorry, he says, I hate every false way. And he says in Psalm 51, 10, Oh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It says in Psalm 119, 2, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. So you have to despise sin, love holiness. You have to have a heart that desires God 24-7. And we need a heart that is determinedly dedicated to obey God and doing his will. Come on, tell your neighbor, you must obey God. Charles Stanley says it this way. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. Just obey God. Obey God. Leave the consequences to him. Watch this. Psalm 119 verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandment. Verse 34. Psalm 119 again. Give me understanding that I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 40 verse 8. I will delight to do your will. Oh my God, and your law is within my heart. All the psalmist is saying is that, listen, when it comes down to it, I'm going to do the will of the Lord. 
I'm going to obey what God says. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to obey. I am going to do it. I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to obey God's word. As God's children, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, in our country, in our nation, they have some families that um, we, we know some of them by name. Their kids don't go certain places. They don't do certain things. They don't associate with certain people. And they're not allowed to marry certain people. I think you probably have that in all countries. Right? If, if you're a certain family in Jamaica, they will not allow you to marry their families. Because they marry at a certain level. Amen? You, you know what I mean? We don't want to call any names, but you know, probably in every society you have those. Alright? So they have these rules and, and people understand it and people say, well, is their family them a billionaire, they're billionaires, they're whatever heirs and all of that. So they have that. And it is acceptable by most in society. So if ungodly men can have rules about who their daughters marry and their son marry, then we must obey our God rules about who we marry and who not to marry. So if they said to their them, son and daughter, listen, only marry rich people and they follow them. Why can't Christians not be unequally yoked? What is wrong with that? Right? If, if God says it, I believe it, that settles it. I'm, I'm going to obey God. If other men can set rules and we obey, why can't we obey what God has said? Uh, Pastor, you're being legalistic. No, I am saying that you need to obey God and leave the consequences to him. Because zeal is a burning desire to please God. It is to do his will and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. You have that desire to please God. I want to please you. I want to do your will. I want to advance your glory in this world. You see, a zealous person is preeminently a person of one thing. They, they are more than earnest, hearty, uncompromising, wholehearted, and fervent in spirit. They are zealous. They are anxious. They are, well, not anxious. They are zealous. They can't wait to worship. They can't wait to pray. They can't wait to praise. They are ready to do whatever God tells them to do. They see only one thing. They care about one thing. They live for one thing. Swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Their whole life is about to please God. I want to please him. Whether they live or die in sickness and in health. Whether they are rich or poor. Please people or give offense. Whether uh, they are thought to be wise or foolish. Whether they get the blame or they get the praise. Whether they receive honor or they are given shame. They burn for one thing. And that is to please God. Come on tell your neighbor I'm a one thing person. And my one thing is to please God. Come on, tell him, say, call me a one burner. I only burn for Jesus. One desire. One thing. Listen, my life ambition is to please God. Such a person will always find zeal. If they cannot preach, they will work. And give money so the gospel can be preached. They will cry and sigh and pray. 
If they cannot fight in the valley with Joshua, they will hold up the hands of Moses until the battle is won. They find a way of being engaged in God's work. They don't come and sit. They come and serve. They find a way to do something. Cleaning chairs, wiping the building, painting. They find a way of being involved in the work of the Lord. It's like David instructed his son Solomon in 1 Corinthians 28 verse 9. He says, As for you, my son, know the God of your father. And serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, 6. Do the will of God with all your heart. Come on, encourage your neighbor. Say, do the will of God with all your heart. That's the challenge, people. We have to so love God that we want to do His will. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. The worst person you can be involved in any sort of relationship with is an uncommitted person. God wants full and total commitment. We must set our hearts to seek him. Finally, we need a heart that delights in worship. A heart involved in church. Like a heart that says, I, I, I love to worship God. I want to worship God. I, I, I'm not waiting until the songs start. I listen, uh, in some churches, I know they still do it, but growing up as a child, I remember when people used to go to church, some would bring their own um, cushions, like prayer cushions. So when they come in before church start, they would walk up to the altar. The altars are a little different from this kind of church. They had these um, very long thing across with some rails and all of that, and everybody, the praise and worship team, everybody sits up there. So it's very big. So people would come in and they would either sit in their seats, they would kneel down, they would pray, and because they, listen, they know they were coming to worship God. In fact, I, I mean, one of the, re so many people have knocked people for wearing certain clothes to church. Like, why you have to wear long dresses? I'm going to tell you the reason why. Because some of you think they were just trying to look modest. It was about worship. So here's what. This whole long covering thing is from in the Bible. Because there's a time when people were uh, caught up in the spirit, in scriptures, in worship, and you had to be appropriate so you're not exposed. So because people don't know how God would move, they would make sure that when they turn up in the house of God or in the place of God to worship, if any move of God got them on the floor, nothing would be seen that is not supposed to be seen. So let me help you. If God were to turn you sideways on the floor, would you be appropriate? Unless you know exactly how God is going to position you when he begins to move in a mighty way. So you have dressed Based on how you perceived, God is going to position you. Otherwise, you come ready for whatever God is going to do. Be, come on, tell your neighbor, say, be prepared. I like that. 
So they come to church and they go up and they start kneeling and they start praying and they pray for the church and they start setting their hearts and they start singing songs. Before the worship team, before musicians, they are worshiping God. They are praising God. And so the psalmist says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Listen, I praise God not because someone is leading a song or singing a song. My worship isn't based on the worship team. You can ask them. Listen, I'm always listening to song and praising. I will give them song and say, I was listening to this song. And sometimes I say, Pastor, you give us too much songs and the songs are too hard. Listen, I will listen to a song and I say, listen, do it on Sunday. And they say, no. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you because, listen, I don't wait on the group to worship God. I don't come to worship first. I come with worship. I join in worship and I take my worship with me. So when I'm going home, I ought to be worshiping. Tomorrow morning, my worship doesn't turn off. I don't turn off my worship and turn it on on Sundays. It stays on. That's the kind of worship that God wants. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 111 verse 1, Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So we should give to God the best praise we have to offer. Every time we give praise to God, He gets our absolute best. No, I'm not the judge of what is your best. You and God are the judge of what is your best. All of us know when we have given God our best or not. All of us. No one can judge that because standing and clapping don't mean you have and sitting and folding your hand don't mean you haven't. Only God knows. Because men look at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. Here's what I know though. That if the expression of my face is not aligning with the words from my lips something is off. So if I'm singing um Oh, that song about good go again. Oh, jeez. How could I forget it? You're up to something good. You know that song? When I'm in my office waters, I won't go under, I won't join. When I'm in over my head, I know that you won't let me down. When I'm broken and down to nothing, I know that you are always up to something good. You make a way. And I'm, and I'm like, you make a way, whatever it takes. There's nothing your love cannot do. I know you are always up to something good. You're up to something. You're up to something. Listen, it doesn't, listen, it's the expression that I have, because it's not just my lips that worship, it is my life. All of me must be engaged in it. The problem we have is that we think we can sing, oh, I give myself away. And we're doing it like we're upset with God. So there's a, there's a necessity for proper expression. Not just verbally, but in our physical posture. It is important that we do that. God wants us to worship him and give him our best praise. And that includes every part of us. So young people, let me talk to you because some of you can't even clap your hands in church. Because you're... Listen, let me tell you this. God don't need worship. 
Let me say it again. God don't need worship. God is God whether you clap your hands or not. We need worship because it brings us close to God. So listen, if you can't get excited and love God when you're supposed to and clap or dance and stuff, listen, that's on you. That's on you. But God wants only what is the best. And if he doesn't get the best, he doesn't take it. Our prayer should express our adoration and our love for God. Because anything less is unacceptable. Colossians 3.16 as we close. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When I consider how good God has been. When I consider the works of his hand. I have no choice but to come into his house and lift my voice to him. And lift my hands to him. And give adoration and praise to him. I walk in and I begin to shout in my heart. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I bless you God. I clap my hands. Not because I'm instructed to by people. But because I'm been prompted by the Holy Spirit. To sing of the good grace of God. Because my desire, my desire is for God. Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not at home. And my wife say, hon, can you rub my back for me? And I say, listen, we don't, we don't rub the back, man. We don't rub the back, man. What kind of rub back? Busy at top. No, 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 no. Listen, I'm glad that my wife asked me to participate, you know, because I desire her. And when I get an opportunity to do something for her, it brings me joy. When we get an opportunity to worship God, it should bring us joy. Bring us joy. So when you walk in church, wherever you go, I'm not waiting. You tell the worship team, you better catch up with me because I'm, I'm taking off right now. And if you catch me, good luck. And if not, I'm going up to the high place with or without you. You're not going to determine how far I go with God. I'm going to worship my God because he inhabits the praises of his people. No, I can't sing like you. It doesn't matter. I can't play the keyboard like him. It doesn't matter. But listen what? I can praise God in a way that is acceptable. And that's what I'm going to do. That is why David is known as a man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper. He despised sin. He was determined to obey God. And he had a heart that desired God 24-7. So let me ask you, where are you today? How is the Holy Spirit challenging you? Do you need a heart that desires to walk with God 24-7? Do you need a heart that, God, that despises sin and loves holiness? Do you desire a heart that is determinedly dedicated to obeying God and doing his will? Do you desire a heart that delights in worship and being involved in the church? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed right where you are this morning. Listen, I want you, as we close, I want you to begin to open your mouths and pray. Because some of you, you know that there was a time when you had such desire to God, for God that when you opened your mouth to speak, it was just the words of God. And your friends would even be annoyed with you because... All you could speak about is God. And every response, you had scriptures. 
But something happened and you have lost that zeal. You have lost that desire. You're not there anymore. This morning, God wants to restore that desire that you have lost. That zeal that you have lost. This morning, he's saying, listen, I can give you that heart that desires to walk after me 24-7. I can give you that heart that will despise sin and love holiness. I can give you that heart that is determinedly set out to obey me and to do my will. I can give you that heart that delights in worship. So right where you are, just, just, just begin to lift your hands and say, Lord, renew my desire for you. Ask him, say, Lord, fill me with a greater desire for you. Come on, just, just stand to your feet with me with your hands lifted up. Like, just, and begin to just, begin to just worship him. Begin to request of him. Say, God, give me, give me today a new desire. A desire for you 24-7. Give me today a desire, Lord God, that despises sin and loves holiness. God, give me a desire today. A heart that determinedly wants to obey you and do your will. God, give me a desire today right now, Lord God, that delights in worship. Come on, just tell him, Lord, like David, I want to be known as a man, a woman after your own heart. My one thing is to please you, Lord. To please you. My foremost desire is to please you. So you just begin to worship him. Make melodies in your heart and begin to sing a song unto him and begin to thank him and thank him for his grace that overflows. Thank him for your identity that says you are a child of God. worship you Jesus we exalt you we magnify you we lift our hearts to you in worship and in praise Just 30 seconds more, just without a song, just pour your heart out to God this morning. You are our heart's desire. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Come on, this is my desire. With your hands lifted, this is my desire. This is my desire to honor you. Hallelujah. Morning, Lord, my heart, I worship you. in this room this morning I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh on them fill every heart with deep desire and longing for you restore the lost zeal cause them to delight in worship determinedly obey and do your will. Lord, cause them to despise sin in every form and pursue and love holiness. May the cry of their hearts in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the night time be as the psalmist David, as the deer pants for the water brooks, their soul will long for you. That they will forever thirst for you as a deer pants and thirsts for water. Cover them under the blood. Lead them in the way everlasting. And may they never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And amen. Come on, clap your hands for Jesus. Come on, he deserves a bigger hand clap than that. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Come on, one more time. Shout hallelujah.